For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I am your host, Johnny McKeon. He's joined us here before on the podcast. I'm very happy to welcome him back. Wilfred Lawrence. Wilf has written for the Pride of London and Fansided. He co-hosts the South Dakota Loves Benucci podcast, which you can listen to on Spotify. Wilf, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Some great football. Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Certainly some amazing football to get to. We're going to talk about the Euro tournament. You know, I've had you on and we talked about the Premier League and we also talked about the rise and fall of the European Super League. Um, But today our focus will be on the 2020 European Football Championship. Most fans, football fans, just call it the Euros. Um, I want to get to some of the big action that's come, but just to kind of set the scene of this tournament. This tournament was obviously supposed to be held last summer. It was delayed due to the pandemic till this summer. The plan was always to have these matches all the way across Europe and they've stuck to their plan. I remember in our conversation, you were kind of surprised with the idea of a tour of Europe with COVID precautions and whatever else. But the matches have been going on and UEFA decided to stick to their guns on it. What have you made of the Euros so far? I think it's been a great tournament. Yeah, I think it, I, I think the COVID precautions... Did think that did make me think that this tournament would be weird, but I think for the most part it's worked in all the all the stadiums and seeing the different stadiums and you know certain stadiums having more fans and all the rest. I think it's been a very kind of colourful, engrossing tournament. It's specifically these last two games. Um, it feels like it's really come alive in the last kind of week or so. Absolutely, we've got the round of sixteen matches to talk about. We are recording this on Monday night, so let's start with the match that just finished. It was an absolute <laughs> stunning finish. France versus Switzerland. Swiss took an early goal, and France seemed to be a bit sleepy and kind of off in the first half. And then there was a VAR check for a penalty for Switzerland. Ref gives the penalty. Hugo Reese comes up with a huge penalty save, which could have given the Swiss way more energy. And this seemed to kind of breathe life into the French. Benzema scores two goals within 90 seconds of one another. The touch on the first on the first goal was unbelievable. Unreal, unreal. 15 minutes or so later, Paul Pogba puts one in, third goal, and they'd need it because the Swiss came back, scoring another two, tying it, goes into extra time, back and forward extra time, tons of chances. Uh, well, no, right before the end of the, the, full, the of full time, Coman put one off the bar, the top bar, which was just <laughs> insane. It was like 20 seconds left. They could have just had the match there back and forward extra time, goes to penalties. Everyone puts in their penalty besides Kylian Mbappe, the final one, and the Swiss are moving through. What did you think of the game? What an incredible finish. The game was ridiculous. It did feel kind of written in the stars almost after the tournament that Mbappe's had for that penalty. You know, it was like as he was walking up, it was just the weight was getting heavier and heavier and it just, yeah, it just became too much. No, it was was a ridiculous game. Like, 
especially after obviously the Croatia Spain extra time, which almost a carbon copy. Mm. And yet I think there was something, this game always felt more tense. And I think Switzerland always had that kind of feeling of always being in the game, even in that kind of 15 minute period where after Pogba scores that, and you know, another worldie and it was kind of, you know, the tempo dropped and it was like, oh, okay. But France just completely took their foot off the gas yeah. And then it was just, and Switzerland were always threatening and they always, whether it was balls in the box or, you know, Granite Xhaka finding his man up front, there was just always a chance in them. Um, and I think they like thoroughly deserved it. Actually, it wasn't a smashing grab. They really, they were the better team in the first half by far, obviously. And France had those 20 minutes where their world-class players turned up um, and produced these world-class moments. But apart from that, I think the Swiss were the better team. Paul Pogba took an incredibly long amount of time before his penalty. He stood there for what felt like 30 seconds. It was probably more like 15. But Mbappe, right as the whistle went, he he went for it. And w- having watched many England penalty shootouts, there's a look of like calm confidence. There's a look of a bit of panic. And then there's straight fear. And Mbappe had nothing but fear in his eyes. I just, the second he walked up to him, he looks terrified. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think he'd... he'd He'd had this. Weird, he's had this weird kind of edge trim all tournament, where mm. you know, where the, you know, I, obviously he 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 scored and then it was offside, and he's shown flashes of his like unbelievable pace and that touch and the finish, but he's also had shown these flashes of just being nowhere in games, just like and and kind of losing his mental. Like that was the really weird moment. I think it was an extra time. I mean, this game it was yes. so long. I can't. <laughs> but I think it was an extra time where he had after putting a couple of chances just wide with his right foot, like kind of curl it into the far post, he had this great chance, like put through from Pogba, another like amazing ball from Pogba. And he let it run across his body to his left and then just kind of like skied it, Mm. um, like totally miscued it. And it seemed like it was just this incredibly clear cut chance for that right. And he just didn't trust that right foot after, you know, you'd think, you know, you wouldn't trust many more right foots on the planet, but he just didn't for whatever reason. What did you think of France in this tournament altogether? I mean, they were they were f- favourites coming in, the 2018 world champions. Do you think that they ever showed the same... Do you think they were ever the same team that played in that 2018 World Cup during this tournament? I don't know. I was definitely one of those people who... It felt like, it felt like you know, 11 out of 12 on kind of all prediction websites were picking France. It was like you were just... And I was never that confident. I always felt like that... Their defence was not as good as it seemed. I think Varane's been kind of off the pace for two years, actually, since the World Cup. Um, And I think Kempembe always has a mistake in him. Um, Same with Pavard. And then I think that, like, third spot in the midfield, obviously Pogba and Kante, you know, you you can't argue with that. But that third spot in the midfield that kind of Rabiot seemed to fill, and then he was obviously playing left-back today, just always felt like a problem to me. And the kind of Benzema, Giroud, you know, those dynamics... Um, which would take a while to get into on here, but that yeah. like that extra new presence having not been there for six years, that that did I think that did add. And but having said all of that, I think it's the case. You know, Mbappe gets his penalty in, they go on to win the shootout. I feel like they do probably win the tournament. It's almost right. one of those you it's have so, these last sixteen games. Right. Yeah, it really is. I think so. And Benzema um, showed his class. I think. I mean, his two oh, goals yeah. were phenomenal, and and he he should be a part of this French side. There's there's inner dialogue between him and Giroud don't like each other I mean uh, maybe a lot of the team doesn't like Benzema Benzema's got a bit of a past as well but r- regardless 
you can't talk you can't say he didn't he didn't show his class in this tournament he he was the best player on the french team for me but i mean paul pogba and kante working together is a like magical midfield but benzema kind of stole the show for france and that match against hungary i mean that's when i thought wow this french team being talked about as much as the heavy favorites and and that and that went on that was crazy yeah it was almost like, I think because of that, the favourites mantle weighed heavily on them. And there was an aspect, they came in thinking they were going to win it. And I think in that group stage, you're like, oh, okay, you, you, once you've beaten Germany, they're kind of through, essentially. You know, mm. you need two, a point from your last two games. But the, the fact that they couldn't beat those last two teams seemed to kind of, I don't think that helped them retrospectively. And I think now they came into this game thinking they could win it. Obviously, you get that early setback, can't really get into the game, then suddenly find their feet, you know, hold on. They realise they have the best players on the planet. You know, they clearly have the best team at this championship. So I yeah. think that's clear. But they did not have the right attitude. Um, and, and I think that really told in the end. And I, I think you, you said a point which is a really true point for this next thing that we're going to talk about, how momentum really does affect the way that you play and come into a match. Spain came into this match against Croatia off the back of a 5-0 victory in their last group stage match. And so you thought, finally, Spain's going to have the finish and they're going to have the touch to score goals, dominate matches. They can dominate possession and you know maybe they can get through with ease in this first game against Croatia, there would be a tough side. And it started the worst possible way, which was a pass back to a goalkeeper, which bonked off his shin guard and into the back of the net for Croatia. Spain were just completely shell-shocked for the first, like, 25, 30 minutes. And it took until the 38th minute after a bunch of really scrappy tries for them to get level. And, you know, they they deserved the goal. They, they looked the better side after that and kind of pushing uh, mental second half, Spain get it up to 3-1 and then Croatia come back with two goals in the final moments of the match. Like you said, a carbon copy really of what happened in the afternoon to what happened with uh, France and the Swiss. Spain control possession. Alvaro Morata collects an unbelievably beautiful cross in extra time and 10 goals in their last two matches, five on the board each time. Will this now stop the criticism of Spain not being a finishing team? And, and how far do you think they can get on in this tournament? I think hopefully it will stop the criticism of Morata. I think that was a huge moment for him personally. Mm. I still think it's funny, this Spain side, you know, I, I'm almost less convinced by them in this game in a weird way. I think funny, their mentality-wise yeah. is mm. like, I think they've shown their mentality, which I would have worried about before the tournament. But there is something about, like, I'm not sure this Croatia team should have been giving them the running that they got in a way. And I think, yeah, I mean, obviously scoring 10 goals in two games is is insane. And I think now that they'll be playing Switzerland, obviously the tournament's opened up for them. I'm still not sure they have the kind of spine to get through a Belgium or an Italy um, on that side of the draw. But I, I don't know. I mean, I have to say one thing. Obviously, we had two, three ones today. I was thinking, you know, I, if I was like Chris Paul or the Phoenix Suns kind of watching that game today, <laughs> it was an ominous moment back to back. Um, but yeah, no, I think obviously I, I think it's one of those things that it, this could be the kickstart. You're right. It could be a kickstart for the tournament. I just still feel like they have those, those weaknesses at the back. I mean, I think that's what you saw, especially today, both those, those back fours of France and Spain were seriously vulnerable mm. um, to kind of fairly innocuous balls into the box. They seem to just be, you know, keep getting caught. 
they will always give teams a chance, Spain, put it that way. Um, but they might have enough quality going forward. You're right. Who do they play next then, Spain? Swiss. So it would be Switzerland now, yeah. Switzerland now. Which, you know, they've got tons of fight in them. You know, good on them. They, they could have given up in the match. And, and so, you know, and, and, and so could have Croatia. Croatia could have kind of bailed out and, you know, given up. But they, they two teams showing scrappy fight and just exactly what we want to see as football fans. Scoring goals, world-class players, put, you know, putting it all out there. Yeah, but also I think that the, the best mix in those games is that you had these world-class incredible moments and also these moments of like absolute ridiculous stupidity <laughs> yeah, or like yeah. a bad luck. You know, that's the best mix when you have, you know, off the shin into the goal inside the first 20 minutes, you know. That's the, the kind of the stuff you see shots. not even in the championship. I mean, that, yeah. that, that is really, really not world-class football moment. It was kind of stunning. What did you make of the Croatian team? I think that like Luka Modric is, is one of the best in the world and yeah, he's aging now. But he seemed to play more of a defensive role for the Croatian team, where in at Real Madrid in the last, you know, what five years he played more of an attacking role. Do you think that they misused him, or is that what he was supposed to do, be playing in that more defensive role, which is what brought them success and got them to a semi-final in the last World Cup? I think he definitely, you know, he is their fulcrum, so he has to kind of do almost everything. And I think he has over the years been a better defensive player than people might kind of think. Um, given his stature and all the rest, mm-hmm. um, and I, but I do think you know his legs are you know not failing him, but they're different than they were at least, even two years ago. I would say, yeah. Um, and so I think that was the case with Croatia that you know that even after all the momentum that you think you'd get from scoring you know two goals in the last five minutes, they just looked knackered in extra yeah. time. And you know their their legs yeah. were you know gone, and that was the where Switzerland's legs weren't gone. And I think right. that I think they are just more a, a youthful side, Switzerland, um, and kind of the industry of Granit Xhaka kind of really got them through. And they did. Croatia just didn't feel like they had that player on the pitch today. And, and you could say Shakiri is the the. I mean, next to Xhaka, Shakiri's probably got the most skill on the field. And they took him off. They would never take off Modric, even though he's yeah, failing yeah. and tired. You know, the, you you take him off. You've taken away the whole centerpiece of the team, the kind of chess yeah. pieces of the team. Uh, yeah, to the action from yeah. earlier in the weekend: Denmark versus Wales, the first of of the round of sixteen matches. Dominant display from Denmark, four nil. Uh, taking Gareth Bale and the Welsh team out of the tournament. And it couldn't have been a more difficult start for Denmark's national team. Their very, very first match of the group stages against Finland. Star player Christian Eriksen collapses on the field, needs a defibrillator. Obviously, news came out as this was happening and going on. It was one of the scariest things I've ever seen in sports. Um, Star footballer for Tottenham and now for Inter Milan. Were you watching that Denmark-Finland match? I was, yeah. I actually didn't see the moment, though. I, I, I left, um, mm. so I was kind of spared that that brutal moment. Um, but yeah, I do think De- Denmark has now become everyone's kind of second team, obviously, and it's great to see that. And I think they have a great chance of getting to, you know, to the semis at least now, almost. Yeah, it, it shows incredible resilience from them as a team to carry on and press on and like have the fortitude. But if I told you that, I mean, obviously. I, we talk about injury all the time in sport because injuries happen to athletes when they perform at the highest level. This is unlike any other injury before. But if I just said, you know, oh, Christian Eriksen sprained his ankle, he's not on Denmark's team. Do you think they're going to advance through to the quarterfinals? You'd say probably not, which is what yeah. I think makes this run this this makes this run even more incredible. Um, yeah, you, you, yeah, you have the human element of just being able to bounce back from something like this and the actual element of a team coming together, you know, taking that out of the context and actually just being able to, but I do think they, they have, they have a real spine, 
you know, they mm. have one of the best keepers of the tournament in Casper Schmeichel, one of the best centre-backs in the tournament in Anders Christensen. And then, you know, Casper Dolberg and all these players kind of filling in for Christian Eriksen in that midfield and up front. And I think they're a real danger. I think they're a proper team. Mm. And and that's what you need in these your international tournaments is there. I mean, the whole field of teams is littered with superstars, but it's about performing as a team. And they will face what I think is one of the other strongest teams in the Czech Republic in the quarterfinals match. The Czechs got their way into the quarters in quite a surprising victory over the Netherlands. I always think the Netherlands are going to be better than they are. And I think most football people do. And then it's just utter disappointment. Uh, first half was really hard fought. But a red card in the early part of the second half after a VA check on a handball was a really big deciding factor in this match, playing down 10 men for a whole half. Um, it was pretty clear that he made a, a really aggressive attack of the ball with his hands uh, in what could have been a goal scoring position. So the, the red card should have stand. But what do you make of the early exit from the Netherlands and checks moving forward? Yeah, I think... The Netherlands is a tricky one, as you said, because they always do, they, they can flatter to deceive. I do think, I remember they, you know, they drew, they they scraped a draw with Scotland in their kind of like last game before the Euros. And I think that showed to me the signs that, especially without Virgil van Dijk, they are susceptible at the back. And I think I'm not, I think they were almost too reliant on, you know, I think Frankie, Frankie de Jong and, and Jeannie Wijnaldum are incredible midfielders. But and and they can both get you a goal, Wijnaldum more so. But I think they were just kind of relying too much on Memphis Depay, mm. um, kind of to create. To, and I think he's one of those players who, on his day, can be world class. But I think in terms of a player consistently delivering, I'm not sure he's ever really done that in his career. And I think that was almost it, it, once he wasn't, you know, especially in that second half, he kind of really trailed off. It just the touch wasn't sticking. All the rest, and then you were kind of like, oh this could be it for them if they can't kind of... I think Denzel Dumfries was the other player who really excelled. But yeah, I think that to me was just pure tournament football, that loss in terms of like, you know, you can play as well as you like in the group stage. But if you come on... I think we've seen that, you know, in the France game today and the Italy game against Austria, you know, you can play all the football you like. But if you come up against one of the teams in the last 16 who really buttoned down the hatches and, and all the rest and show real fight and a bit of bit of something going forward, you can always be, you know, caught on the break. Always be beaten. one of the matches that was definitely circled for most football fans was that between defending champions Portugal and Belgium. The Portuguese side lost to Belgium on Sunday. Cristiano exits the tournament just one goal shy of breaking the all-time international goal-scoring record. He sits Long live Ali Dai. Ali Dai, 109 <laughs> goals, the Iranian football legend. It would have been cool to see him score a goal in this Belgian match and, and take the record instead of now it'll probably be in a qualifier or I don't know what a match of enough importance for it to be claimed as an international goal. What what did you think of the defending champs exit, and what do you think of this golden generation Belgium side? It's been so long talked about that this team has uh, generational talent that's not actually won any kind of proper international hardware that always shows so much promise. Do you think that this is going to be the year for for Belgium? What did you make of Portugal v Belgium? I think with the draw opening up, it really could be Belgium's here. I was skeptical with their, their you know, the age of their centre-backs. Um, I thought that, you know, 
I think coming from two kind of crackers, that game was certainly a bit more attritional, um, but then really opened up in the last 20 minutes in a way that like a tight tournament game, you know, in international football really can in like the best way where it's like, it's cagey for 70 minutes. And then the last 20 minutes are kind of like, well, we've got to do something or we're gone. Um, so those last 20 minutes were great. Yeah. I thought Belgium deserved it pretty much. I think, I don't think the pitch in Seville was, was helping too much. Um, especially at the end, just into, I think it was pretty bobbly. Um, and I know there's been some issues with it. I think it's kind of new turf. The, the ground isn't very used very much. I think it was, um, built for an Olympics that never happened in Seville. So it's, a, it's not, it's a kind of ghost ground, um, in a way. Um, but yeah, I thought on the whole Belgium deserved to go through. I was a little bit disappointed, especially I think in like Bruno Fernandes for Portugal, who just, I don't think he ever turned up at this tournament. No. Um, I think it's understandable, you know, yeah, he's played a lot of games for United and carried a lot of burden there, but I just think that it, Portugal needed the players around Ronaldo to, to turn up for, to, to be able to enable Ronaldo to like get on the end of it. And I think they were just a little bit too negative. Um, and never seemed to be, to get the best out of Bernardo Silva, which is weird for you know a Premier League fan who see him as one of the best in the league. I, they just kind of kept on taking him off after 55 minutes, and he never was really able to. Didn't really have a position nailed down. Um, so I thought that was weird. I thought their tactics were pretty negative, and I think Belgium definitely looked like one of the you know stronger teams in the tournament at the moment, especially with Lukaku on on the form that he's in. You've got Lukaku, you've got De Bruyne, you've got the two Hazard brothers now. You know, it's, it, these these are really great players. And it seems like Portugal kept talking about, oh, we've, we've got so many more players now than just Ronaldo. It's not just the Ronaldo show. We don't have to lean on him so heavily. But this team doesn't really know how to play without leaning on him very heavily. Yeah, it's that balance of like, you know, some people were kind of saying, would this team be better without Ronaldo in that kind of perverse mm. way of not having to play around him and not having to, you know, he's not the presser. <laughs> you know, he's probably the worst presser at the tournament in many ways, um, you know, off the ball. But obviously his goal record speaks for itself. Yeah, I just don't think they ever found that balance. And I think key key players around him like Bruno Fernandes and how Felix, who's, you know, 100 million euro player um, who just doesn't look anything like it at the moment. And I think, yeah, it's unfair to, you know, blame him for, you know, he only had 15 minutes, but he just, you're hoping for a player of that caliber, you're hoping that they, they can really do something at a tournament like this. And when they don't, I think you, more often than not, you do go out. And it's a tough part of the bracket as well. They've had to take on Portugal, Belgium, and come out 1-0. And they're going to have to face Italy. Italy made their way through 2-1 over Austria. What have you made of the Italian side? And how do you, how do you fancy this matchup, Belgium-Italy? Weirdly, I think Italy were the team before the round of 16 I would have picked to like actually ignominiously fail in the last... You know, after all the goals they shot, they were the ones where I was like, oh, I'm not sure. You know, that as good as it is seeing, you know, Bonucci, you know, podcast name drop and Chiellini at the back, you know, they are old. And, and I think, you know, that that's got to catch up with them at one point. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that game, again, it was attritional, but really fun in the end, that really fun extra time. And one of, I mean, we've had some incredible goals today, but one of my favourite goals in the tournament so far was that Austria, the, the, third, the first Austria goal, you know, to get, you know, to make the last 10 minutes interesting where that seven foot substitute, you know, gets his way in front of four Italian <laughs> defenders and like stoops down to three foot and nicks it in between this impossible gap. Like I love that goal. 
and and do you think this Italian side is is something to rave about? I think you know they they always get on. They, I mean, we're harsh on the English team, obviously, but the Italian the Italians are really harsh on their national team. Do you think that they're going to be excited enough and and believe in this team enough? I I think so. I think that Belgium Italy game will be a a, a cracker. Hopefully, mm. um, especially if Italy play the football that they've been playing in the group stages, because um, that will force Belgium. To, to, to do the same. Otherwise, I think Belgium are capable of sitting back and just trusting that one of Lukaku, De Bruyne or Hazard, you know, either of them will will get something. But yeah, I think they've been, definitely been the most exciting team um, at the tournament. So I think, you know, I would be surprised if Chiesa didn't start the next game after he came on. Um, and after a great season with Juventus, I think he was one of their, you know, br- only bright sparks. And I think he, he injects, you know, so much pace on that right and that again that goal his goal was brilliant um kind of burkampy um in a weird way yeah i think i i i'm more confident in them now than i was but i still th- i think the the great thing about this tournament in many ways is that every team has their faults right um usually in defense <laughs> it seems right. um and then you have the teams who are, who are maybe less flashy your denmarks and your swedens but are just so solid so I think it, it makes for a lot of lot of interesting matchups. And as I said, we're recording this Monday night, so we've got two more round of sixteen matches before the quarterfinals are all set. Let's start with Sweden Ukraine. Do you have any predictions? And and what do you think that what do you think that match is going to hold for us? Yeah, well, this is the headline act on Tuesday. Yeah, of course. Isn't it? No, Apparently. Yeah, I'm starting with the big story, <laughs> which is it's good from UEFA as always. You know, trust them. Um, to know what their primetime slot should be. Um, yeah, I think Ukraine were actually my kind of um, my dark horse picks for the tournament um, over the likes of like Turkey, um, who, who may not have done so. So, well, they were a fashionable dark horse. But yeah, I, I kind of I liked them. I liked the Shevchenko factor um, in, in the dugout. Um, and I thought they had some decent players and like, a, again, a kind of decent spine with Zinchenko, obviously played in the Champions League final. Yarmolenko can always be exciting. Um, but they haven't, I have to say, they haven't really impressed me as much as I, I thought they would. I don't think, I think they were kind of lucky to get through. Um, and I think this Sweden team just looks a lot more accomplished. Um, I think Alexander Isak's a, a proper player. Um, and I think they just seem a bit more together and, and with a, a real game plan which I haven't really seen from Ukraine so far. Yeah, like what I was impressed with the Swiss team is, is how complete a team they were and how they worked together as a, as a football team instead of a team of superstar individuals. I think that Sweden is has had superstars on it, but this team seems like a real workhorse, just grind it out defensive team. And so I think it should be an interesting match, the Sweden-Ukraine match. But of course, the big anticipated match is that of England v. Germany. Um, the anticipation, the excitement, the build-up. What do you think? Is it is it in fact coming home, Wilf? Is football coming home? I think I I, don't, I really I, God I feel so you know sick with nerves as you say that. <laughs> I think you know it's one of those things. If if we beat Germany, the chances are that you know skyrocket. I think you know now with France out like and that's almost what makes this game you know so sickeningly so inevitable as well, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's just. Brutal. You know, yeah, that penalties, you know, today was, you know, is such a warm up for tomorrow. Um, I don't know. I think it's a real 50-50 game. Uh, and I think I have to say, I think I was heartened. I 
I'm I feel like I'm a more positive England fan than than many of my my friends at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, there was a lot of talk, obviously, about the negative approach in the group stage and, the you know, only two goals scored um, and all the rest of it. But I think that is how you win a tournament. Um, I, th- I think that's pretty clear in recent history. And I think I've been heartened by, you know, the fact that, um, you know, even before today, you looked at like the Italys and the, the, the Dutch, who were the kind of the great entertainers of the group stage and how that kind of doesn't serve you in the last mm. 16. And so I think I really, and I specifically against this Germany team who can be electric when they're allowed to be, you know, like against Portugal where that back four was just so narrow for Portugal and they just hit them on the, you know, flanks almost every time. And it looked like they could score. Um, but you compare that with the game against Hungary where the, that solid back five keeping everything in front of them and they just ran out of ideas so quickly and they were really lucky uh to snatch something at the end you know they had to rely on an 18 year old ex-england you know youth team international um to bail them out almost um and so i think if we stick to the approach that we've shown i think we can we can really give them a game the thing i love about and then you've just said it the thing i love about our team at the minute is our defensive line and how we are kind of five strong back there in a way what made me nervous watching all this football today isn't obviously watching penalty kicks because it's even when it's not your team it's still just such a nervy kind of social experiment the penalty kick shootout (laughs) but uh, the thing that scared me the most was just the finishing ability of these teams that have made their way through into these next rounds and when it comes down to it you might have a match where you need to score three goals and I think we've got some of the biggest names as far as goal potential goal scorers with Harry Kane, but he's not scored yet. And Raheem Sterling, who's scored two goals, but does I, I I worry about the I worry about that clutch element. I always worry about that kind of clutch, that steely determination finishing element. And we might face a game where we need to score three goals and we might only score one or two. That's the thing that makes me the most nervous is about is about getting ourselves into a position where we can score. But I, I think we can score against this German team. I think, yeah, I think, you know, they're another with a kind of dodgy back four. And we've, yeah. we've seen that in this tournament for sure. I think, yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I almost think if we're in a position where we have to score three, I, I think that's where we don't go through. But I almost think like the game plan, it, like I think we only win this game 1-0 or 2-1. Um, I think that that really is, that is the game plan. That is, how, And I think that is how you beat this Germany team. You know, t- take away Southgate's negative tactics. Um, I think... You don't beat this Germany team who have, you know, Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sane, such fast players on the break. Um, you don't beat this team by playing them, you know, with like fast, entertaining football because they'll punish you because if they have the space, they'll punish. But if you take away their space, they can get frustrated really easily. I think it's a really, you know, truly 50-50 game. Maybe the closest in the kind of last 16 so far, I would say. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I, I, I have no idea. And that's why it makes it so tantalizing because it's it's literally the fixture that I think I'm the most scared of is the England v Germany fixture. It's the one that intimidates me the most. They, they intimidate me as, as a team, but it's a it's a really different kind of team. They brought back old players. Muller's back, Hummels is back. But I, you know, I don't know that we've seen the best of them in this tournament. Kai Havertz, who obviously plays for Chelsea, I, I think he's a, a really electric talent and kind of the scariest person on that team for me. But Rudiger and Hummels haven't been strong enough in this tournament. They, they have let in goals that they shouldn't have. 
And I think that if we show enough finishing power that we have a really good shot tomorrow. Yeah, I think the thing with, with Havertz is that, uh, you know, <laughs> as Chelsea fans, we've seen the best and, and the, the worst. worst of him yeah, this exactly. Season. Seen so, a lot of them. Yeah, and I think that I, I am, what heartens me is the fact that there have been times in this tournament. Yeah, okay, he scored a couple of goals. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think, I think he'd be the first to say those goals haven't been, you know, huge moments for him. You know, they've both been tap-ins. There's been times in this tournament when he's looked like the habits under Lampard where they kind of didn't really know where he should be. And he didn't, he didn't really have a place in the team, especially when they're not on the break. So I think if we can keep him having to play with like four defenders in front of him, that is when he has less ideas than when he is able to like, you know, that Champions League final goal being the best example really hurt you on the break. Yeah. I think the thing is with Germany, I will say, and, I, and I'm slowly not believing this as we get closer and closer to the game, but in that crazy kind of group stage night when there was France, Portugal and Hungary, Germany, you know, going on at the same time and we had the thing where England were playing every single one of them at certain points. I, I, I was on that night, I was like, obviously you're assessing who you want to play as an England fan. And, and Germany were actually top of that list for me. You know, I would, because, I, I, you know, Obviously, Hungary, the worst team there, but I could not face another kind of Iceland 2016, yeah. you know, oh, like that was the last thing I wanted yeah. after a Hungary side beating Germany. I, I did not want that. And I think Portugal scared me a bit more than this German. I think this yeah. German side are more beatable, specifically to the tactics that, that England play. Mm. I, I agree. I, th- I thought maybe Portugal might have been an easier matchup just because of the kind of history of the of the German matchup. And and, you know, the, like like I said, you know, I, w- I worry about us scoring handfuls of goals and, you know, they were only able you know, they weren't even able to get one against the Belgian defence. And I think our defensive line stacks up pretty well against them. So, yeah, this is this is really the big match, England, Germany, because then we either face Sweden or Ukraine and then the winner of Czech Republic or Denmark. So the the semis suddenly look attainable. I mean, you start doing all this math. I mean, of, of course, here we here we sit Monday night doing you know math the other way, but we've got to take on Germany first. My first kind of love of sport came from watching England play in these international tournaments. And I think that there's no other thing that I'm more on the edge of my seat for or care more about. And this matchup is so steeped in history. And when I think of this, I think of lots of different moments in England v Germany history but one that really sticks out and that I remember is the 2010 World Cup with Frank Lampard incredible strike into the upper post hits down on the ground coming down just past the goal line and then it comes back out and no VAR no instant replay no goal line referees as FIFA's you know thrown the book at trying to fix this problem but seeing that bounce out and just seeing that fate and just feeling this I've always felt this sense of dread and excitement and pure love for watching England. What does watching England mean to you? And, and what are you looking forward to? And, and potentially, what are you dreading tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, as you say, I, it's hard. I mean, it's obviously pure love, but in that kind of sense of pure love, it's also like just absolutely sickening. You know, that like, it, it, you know, as soon as you, as you say, the kind, you know, you fell in love with, you know, sport watching England. I feel like you can also completely fall out of love <laughs> with sport watching England, you know. I feel like there are kids who've just been emotionally scarred, you know. Yeah, and it's also, funny, as you were saying, you know, the history with England, Germany. I mean, the history with England, Portugal in recent times isn't great for me. You know, certainly as a yeah. kid, those are the two, like, real first, like, gutting, gut-wrenching sports moments of my life. Like, that kind of 2004 Euros 
um, I think I was like six or seven. And that was, you know, that was my introduction in a way to the England fandom um, of just that kind of pure elation turned to just pure, you know, despair. Um, and so at the moment, especially, you know, as a young fan, it is, it is completely entangled in that kind of elation to despair, you know, seesaw. Um, and the despair is definitely winning so far, but, but there is hope. As ever, there's always hope. Always hope. It's a superstar talent team. Hopefully we compete as a complete team. Some of the most talented people in the world of football play in their positions. We're going to be treated to some fabulous football tomorrow and even more ranging through the tournament. I hope that we can have another chat again as all of this football carries on. What do you think, Will? Yeah, I hope we can have a chat as, you know, England in the final or, you know, touch wood, whatever, whatever the rest that could happen after that won't say it, but, you know. Exactly right. All right. I appreciate you, pal. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Thanks again to Wilfred Lawrence for coming and joining me on the podcast. Be sure to check him out on the South Dakota Loves Benucci podcast. You can listen to that on Spotify. Lots of funny stuff there. Lots of interesting football stuff there as well. If you're listening to this episode and the England match is underway or it's over, be sure to check me out at AABritPod on Instagram and Twitter. I'm going to be following the game live with updates and videos, so be sure to go check me out at AABritPod on Instagram and Twitter. The final two round of 16 matches, Sweden versus the Ukraine, England versus Germany. I'll be watching. I hope you will be as well. For the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network, as always, I am your host, Johnny McEwen, and until next time, take care. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.